the British TV podcast with Chrissy and Ryan. News, reviews, what's on TV this week, DVD releases, and special features all about British TV. Welcome to the British TV podcast, show number eight. I'm Ryan in Seattle. And I'm Chrissy in Seattle. With a frog. Yep, I am a frog today, or a foghorn, or... Barking seal, take your pick. So Ryan's going to be doing most of the talking. Oh, I bet that makes your week. With Thanksgiving this week, the TV schedules in America pretty much go into hibernation for the rest of the year. But in Britain, a number of great new shows are now debuting. So get ready to watch and we'll tell you all about them. This week's episode, we have news, what's on British TV this week, what's running in the United States, DVD releases, a review of the sitcom The Old Guys, listener feedback, and a feature on comedian Steve Coogan. Hooray for Steve Coogan. He is a talented guy and getting much deserved attention in this country, as well as Britain. News. BBC America announces a broadcast date for the Doctor Who Christmas special, The End of Time Part 1. And the imaginary titled, The End of Time Part 2. Uh, part 1 will be shown on BBC America on December 26th, a day after it shows in England. I just love that it's now Doctor Who special on Christmas time in Britain. I just think that's marvelous that it's a Christmas special over there. Yes, it's been that way for five years now. And the first year, we totally lucked out because the CBC ran the -hmm. Christmas Invasion on Boxing Day. So you knew that at 8 o'clock on the 26th, you could sit down. We get the CBC here in Seattle on uh, the local cable. And there it was. Which was just fabulous. And it will be the same thing again. Assuming, of course, you get BBC America. And they put up the trailer that showed on Children in Need on Friday. Very interesting trailer. And then at the end, they said, coming December 26th. So 24 hours after Britain gets it, we get it here in the United States. And I would surmise that it will be on their on-demand service, which we get here. And so... That will be great. People can be talking all about the new Doctor Who special at Christmas time. What's on TV this week? Tuesdays, A History of Scotland returns. Have you seen this? No. I really grooved on the first season. Neil Oliver continues his journey through Scotland's past. Uh, the first season was, was fascinating. It's a great history lesson, and now we're going to know more about Scotland. Well, I suppose I ought to, having a Scottish last name, but... We'll, we'll put it on the list, the yes. backlog of things to watch. I, I watched an episode recently and learned all about Queen Mary. On ITV, Tuesday night, it concludes the three-part documentary series, which I know you've been looking forward to, John Sargent on the Tourist Trail. On BBC One, a new science fiction drama, Paradox, begins. The description is, a trio of police officers and a scientist try to stop crimes with help of visions from the future being beamed from space. So, wait, isn't this the premise of Flash Forward? Or the maybe it was a Minority Report? Well, Minority Report was the three precognitives that they had in the That pool. would predict crimes right. and they, they would, would go out and prevent crimes. crimes and they would go out and... Sounds like this series. Get you just in the nick of time before you manage to throttle your spouse or... Do you remember Crime Traveler with Michael French mm-hmm. back in the late 90s? It was Saturday night, uh, BBC show had Michael French from EastEnders and Chloe Annette from Red Dwarf. And she could travel in time in her flat back 24 hours. 
but you could never meet yourself. So they would do all the sort of weird, weird things would happen the first time and then they repeat the cycle through and you'd be like, oh, that's why that happened and stuff. And it ran for a season. So now we're getting Paradox. So that's Tuesday night. Hopefully it'll be pretty interesting. We'll, we'll get back to you and let you know what we think about it. Well, I could sing the song about the Paradox from Pirates of Penzance if my voice was just a little clearer. So consider yourself lucky, I suppose. <laughs> And on Tuesday on Channel 4 at 11.05, a very unusual drama begins that will surely be controversial. Cast-Offs is a six-part drama about a fictional reality TV show that takes a group of disabled people to an island and leaves them to fend for themselves. And the trick is, disabled actors play the roles and help with the script. And as a result, it's a believable portrayal of grown-ups who drink, swear, have sex and arguments, and reveal their character flaws. Uh, episode 2 will be on Wednesday night. I've got a feeling people will be talking about this series. It's a very unusual format. Probably some people will think it's real. It's not. It's all made up. But the, the people do have the real disabilities that you will see on screen. So that should be very interesting. Wednesday, there's no changes from last week. The school drama Waterloo Road continues on BBC One. Uh, BBC Two is Andrew Marr's The Making of Modern Britain. And the spy drama Spooks, a.k.a. MI5, is on BBC One. Thursday on BBC One is the return of the comedy Gavin and Stacey. Have you enjoyed that? I've been told to watch it. My mother watches it on BBC America and loves it. But again, I've, I've got it. It's just making the time. Uh, Rob Brydon's in it. He right. plays kind of their uncle. It's about this series about a young couple who fall in love. One's a Welsh girl and the other is a London guy. And they have to work this out. And they have a wacky family. And it's come a long way since it started out on BBC Three. It got promoted to BBC Two, and now it has a primetime slot on BBC One, although apparently this is going to be the last season. Uh, BBC America has shown it, as Chrissy said. Uh, it stars and is written by James Corden and Ruth Jones. And this is followed by, you asked for it, Alan Davies, The Return of QI with Series G. Each season has done a letter in the alphabet. They've done A, B, C, and D, E, and F. So now we're up to G. And before you ask, they're not worried about what happens when they get to Z. It's so many years in the future. So there'll be 16 episodes of Fabulous Facts hosted by Stephen Fry as the Quizmaster. In addition to regular panelist Davies, the guests are Dara O'Brien, Rob Bryden, and David Mitchell. I cannot recommend QI highly enough. It is the funniest, most entertaining, and informative series you'll ever see. Now, QI had a book after one or two seasons, and I meant to look this up. I think it was called The Book of General Ignorance, mm -hmm. released in the UK, and they actually released it here, but they had to toe down the fact that it was a tie-in to QI since we don't get QI, so it was released just independently as a book of general ignorance that you might want to read and have a look at. Yes, QI, the show they've deemed too intelligent to be shown to Americans. Feel free to complain loudly and often to BBC America, your PBS stations, and anybody else who listen, because QI should and must be imported into the United States. I think that's one of our long-running causes that we have in this podcast. Thursday on Channel 4 at 10 p.m. is Alan Carr, Chatty Man, new chat show, and it's got Gavin and Stacey's Ruth Jones and James Corden, DJ Chris Moyles, and the boys from Westlife. Friday at 9 p.m. on BBC One, Have I Got News For You, with guest host Alexander Armstrong and guest panelists Jimmy Carr and Bob Crow. Hmm. 
Well, that hasn't Jimmy Carr hosted it. I don't know of a host that's gone back to being a panelist. That'll be interesting. I think they've gone back and forth. Tom Mm -hmm. Baker was a panelist and became a host. Well, I mean, they've they've become gone from panelist to host, but I haven't seen anyone, once he or she got the host chair, go back to being a panelist. Not that it's a demotion, but it's just interesting. I think you get more fun as a panelist because it's Mm -hmm. off the cuff. I mean, if you're the, the host, you just read out the auto cue. Right, and also the host, well, at least Angus Deaton in his day did an awful lot of the writing and gathering of information and jokes himself. And Yes, Angus Deaton was the original permanent host of Have I Got News View, and he was felled by a celebrity scandal. I, I did get to see him, though, in 2001. We went and saw him when he was still hosting, so I'll be forever grateful for that. Uh, you get a double dose of Alexander Armstrong with Armstrong and Miller. Their sketch comedy series will be right afterwards on Friday night on BBC One. It's the last show of the season. The comedy showcase on Channel 4 this week with The Increasingly Poor Decisions of Todd Margaret that was co-written by David Cross from Arrested Development, who also stars as an American office worker who bluffs his way into a top management job in London but soon finds himself out of his depth when he has to offload a pile of dubious energy drinks. I wanted to do a series about an American art director working in London, and I would have called it Yankee Doodle. There you go. So this is the pilot showcase on Channel 4 Friday night. And at 10.35 on Friday on BBC One with Jonathan Ross, Jeremy Clarkson, Peter Kay, and Lawrence Fishburne are the guests. Lots of testosterone there. Saturdays, Merlin continues on BBC One at 6.05. Harry Hill's TV Burp is on ITV One. On BBC Two concludes the three-part documentary series Berlin about the history of the German capital. And The Thick of It on BBC Two at 10.40 with Peter Capaldi. The plot this week with the Prime Minister away at a summit in Spain. Malcolm Tucker is left at home to mind the shop. Oh dear. Sunday, BBC Two continues a new season of Top Gear. DJ Chris Evans is the star in a reasonably priced car. The former Mr. Billy Piper. Channel 4 begins a new drama series, The Queen, about the life of you-know-who. The first episode stars Amelia Fox, Katie McGrath, Tristan Sturrock, and Simon Williams. And it continues on Monday night. On Monday, the 30th, David Attenborough's documentary series Life continues on BBC One. The Graham Norton Show Later that night has guests Stephen Fry, Bill Bailey, Annie Lennox, and David Gray. And Miranda Hart's new comedy Miranda continues on BBC Two Monday night. On Tuesday, the 1st of December, A History of Scotland on BBC Two. On BBC One, more strange goings-on on Paradox. And Channel 4 continues The Queen at 9 and cast-offs at 11.05. On BBC America this week, Top Gear and Friday Night with Jonathan Ross fill out Friday night's There's more Top Gear on Monday nights. Saturday continues the third season of Robin Hood. It's getting very exciting. And the Graham Norton Show. On Adult Swim at 1 a.m. Sunday night is the Mighty Boosh. And PBS repeats Cranford on Masterpiece Classic next Sunday with Judi Dench, Imelda Staunton, and Francesca Annis. And the second season will be shown in 2010. DVD releases in the United States. The second season of the British version of Life on Mars is out this week, starring John Sim and the fabulous Philip Glenester. In addition to all the episodes, it includes the Return of Life on Mars documentary, 
a bonus behind-the-scenes footage for episodes 3, 5, and 7, and a tour of the set, and the end of Life on Mars featurette. Well, I pretty much watched all those extras on the PAL version of the DVD a few years ago, and they're all worth watching. But poor John Sim, he looks so exhausted in between all the takes because he was in every scene of the British version. In the U.S. version, they gave... Sam Tyler a few scenes away from, but they always showed him in the UK version. Well, because it was his right world, and so he had to be there. And so scenes that didn't, where he wasn't at, he would have to either watch it on TV or someone would tell him what happened. Right. Which I thought worked really well. And they kind of broke that point of view in the American version. They did. But in the DVD extras, you'll see if they're, he's have a little break, he'll be grabbing a crash mat and pulling it into the shade and, and conking out for a few minutes till they have to wake him up to shoot some more. He was very, very tired, gentlemen. Wow. So reviews. The Old Guys. This ran earlier this year on BBC One. This is a sitcom produced by BBC Scotland, and it stars Roger Lloyd Pack, best known as Trigger on Only Fools and Horses, Clive Swift, the poor put-upon husband of Hyacinth Bouquet on Keeping Up Appearances, Jane Asher, and Catherine Parkinson, who played a ditzy character on Doc Martin and a ditzy character on The IT Crowd, and plays a ditzy character on The Old Guys. The series is written by Jesse Armstrong, Simon Blackwell, and Sam Bain, and their credits include The Thick of It and Peep Show. Now you think... A show about these two retired guys living in a house together. It's a traditional BBC three-camera sitcom recorded in front of a live audience. might remind you a bit of Still Game, which is another Scottish sitcom with two middle-aged actors made up to look as old men. You think, what's so special? Well, I've watched two episodes of The Old Guys, and I just find it really funny. So here's a clip of the Roger Lloyd Pack character. He has been laid up. His foot has been hurt, and his housemate has been having to take care of him for three days and is getting a little tired of it. I'm going out, Tom. I'll see you later. What, you mean out, out? Properly out? I'm going over to Sally's to help her get ready for her party. Oh, I see. Nice. While my feet are all twisted and crippled, you get your normal healthy feet under sexy Sally's table. Tom, I've been acting as your carer for every minute of the last 48 hours. I've cooked for you, I've taken you back and forth to the toilet, I've washed you, I've clipped your toenails, I've read <laughs> Nigel Mansell, my autobiography, to you. I need a break. Even Florence Nightingale used to nip outside sometimes for a fag and a Kit Kat. Yeah, but you can't leave me, though, Roy. What if I need to go to the loo and I can't and I wee myself dead? <laughs> alone and dead, killed by my own bladder. You're not alone. Oh, what, you mean I've still got my memories? <laughs> memories of what a big selfish git you are. No, I mean Amber's here. Oh, yeah, sure, Amber's here. That's your answer to everything. But it's not the same as having you here. She's not a proper person. I made her. <laughs> you find your own children boring. That's a scientific fact. <laughs> Rabbits sometimes even eat theirs. They're so boring. <laughs> I don't want my daughter to take me to the toilet. This is not a Ken Loach film. <laughs> Sally is their sexy next-door neighbor, played by Jane Asher, who is a very posh actress. She's pretty much who you call when you can't get Joanna Lumley. Okay. 
And Amber, his daughter, is played by Catherine Parkinson. I just really enjoyed the show. It it came out of left field, and just as you see that clip, some really funny jokes. I really liked it quite a bit. It has not come out on DVD yet, either in Britain or the United States. There is going to be a second season coming out next year. So keep an eye out for The Old Guys. Listener feedback. Michael in the UK writes, Did you get a chance to see Doctor Who, The Waters of Mars? Okay, here's a curious one for you. Rearrange the letters and what do you get? Wars of the Master. (gasps) He will knock four times. So where are the other three? The Agatha Christie has one at the start. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but I have found two others in season four. If you listen for the drumbeat, it's there. Best wishes, Michael. So this whole he will knock four times was a prediction made by the psychic woman in Planet of the Dead. Mm-hmm. And everyone's been reading a lot into this. I, for one, though, <laughs> I do not analyze shows of Doctor Who like it's lost and looking for all the little clues, you know. Whatever they're going to do, they're going to do. David Tennant said on the commentary track of Planet of the Dead when that line came up, says, it's not what you think. So we'll have to see. Of course, there were three knocks during the waters of Mars, Mm -hmm. and he made sure there wasn't a fourth one. He actually pointed this out to the audience. So we'll see. And as far as anagrams go, I mean, Mr. Saxon was an anagram for Master Six. Mm -hmm. But of course, John Sim was only the fifth master, so that didn't even make sense. Apparently, master is like the easiest anagram word in the world, so I don't read a lot into that, but we'll see. But thank you anyway, Michael, for your feedback. There's more feedback. Brad has a question. There was a short-lived BBC series that I have not been able to get off my mind about an eccentric, wealthy family living in a crumbling manor in the country. PBS carried it for a while. Was it on Masterpiece Theater? I'm sorry I don't remember the title nor any of the actors' names. I remember there was a humorous episode about going to a professional football match and another about a UFO sighting. I don't know if you could help me find the name of the show, but any clues would be appreciated. I'm going to... Monarch of the Glen? That's what I'm thinking. Monarch yep. of the Glen. If it was a poor family living in a crumbling manor, that would be... I capture the castle, but which is a film that I believe was made for British TV, but not a wealthy family. Yes, I, I'm thinking it is Monarch of the Glen. And I, I asked him, you know, Richard Briers was in it originally, and then mm-hmm. Tom Baker took over. And Jason O'Mara, with his real accent before he came to the United States to be in Life on Mars, playing our Sam Tyler. He was in it. What part did he play? He was a neighbor chap. Oh, okay. He wasn't part of the family. No. But he was in several episodes. Okay. I went, wait a second. Who's... I recognize him. And I saw him in a show in London many, many years ago, too. So, been known about him for ages. You remember actors so much better than I do. So, I hope that helps Brad. Uh, Amanda also wants a show identified. She says, I was watching The Holy Grail. I assume she means Monty Python, The Holy Grail. And it reminded me of an old cartoon I used to watch. I unfortunately do not remember the name. It was British, it had a mouse in it, and it was on Nickelodeon in the late 80s. I would greatly appreciate your help with this. A cartoon? It's Danger Mouse! Okay. Guess it was a little before your time. Danger Mouse was a spy parody. It was all done with animals. It was the voice of David Jason. He had a bumbling sidekick. And they were up against an evil toad. Very funny, very much in the vein of Rocky and Bullwinkle. A lot of the jokes were obviously aimed at adults that would happen to catch it. Very catchy theme song, too. So if you have any questions or you're going, what was that show that I remember? Feel free to write in to feedback at britishtvpodcast.com and we will try to answer it.
on Comedian Steve Coogan. Actor Steve Coogan. I've read interviews and he actually became a stand-up briefly just to get on stage because he couldn't get a job straight out of acting school. A lot of people did that. Alan Davis did that as well. Well, he was an impressionist first. Uh, right. he, he got work on Spitting Image and his stand-up act was him doing impressions of people in strange places, you know, Sean Connery in Vietnam and right. unusual things like that. And then he started developing it more and more into trying to do original characters and then finally, he and John Thompson took a show to Edinburgh in 2002, directed by Patrick Marber, mm -hmm. and they won the Perrier Award for Best Comedy, which pretty much is a golden ticket to get a TV show. It is, if you're a man. <laughs> the only, there's Jenny Eclair. I know she won, and she didn't get a television show so much. But I know she... I mean, I've seen her you know a lot on she TV. Is, She's presented yeah. shows and things like that. I mean, maybe she decided, I'm, I'm not... I, a writer of TV kind of things, but I think the Perrier grew in pop. I think it grew in popularity because if you look at the list of, well, the first year, of course, it was Stephen Fry and all his Cambridge buddies won it as a group award. But then through most of, for about ten years, these people, um, I look at them and I think I don't know who they are. And then, the last, the next ten years after that, yes, everybody who won it just about was had a springboard into popular culture and getting to be well like Simon Murray won with the League of Tedium and he got a BBC mm -hmm. two series that Stuart Lee directed so it just seems like that you know the agents come a call it's like winning uh, if you make some independent movie and you go to Sundance and you can't get arrested and suddenly you win Sundance and everybody wants to know who you are in fact Kevin Bacon was in a movie that was exactly about that mm -hmm. and so he came to the attention of producer Armando Iannucci the, always a good move and they did on the hour on the radio. Right. And that's where he created the character of Alan Partridge, who was just supposed to be sort of a generic sportscaster. Right. And then moved on to television. They, they kind of spun that off to the day-to-day. -day. And you got to see Alan. And they said that he would just go off on these weird tangents. It had nothing to do with the plot. And they thought, we can do something with this character. So this led to I'm Alan Partridge. Well, there was also the Alan Partridge show. Well, there's okay for the like, radio and then television. Too. Right, and knowing me, knowing you. Right, that's it. Yeah, uh, so he would use you. the ABBA song, and and Alan Partridge's catchphrase was "Aha!" Knowing me, knowing you, aha! Yeah, that part, yes. And he would torturously work ABBA song titles into commentaries and introductions as much as he could. <laughs> Welcome to Knowing Me, Knowing You, with me, Alan Partridge, live from BBC Television Centre. You better believe it, babe, there's a new chat in town. <laughs> Tonight is what I call a JFK kind of a night, because just as everyone can remember what they were doing when President Kennedy was shot in the head, <laughs> I like to think that 30 years from now, people will remember what they were doing when I first said, Aha! I like to use the word unctuous 
in describing <laughs> Alan Partridge. He is a comedy monster. I mean, he has no idea of self censoring himself. Yeah, he and and will just keep talking to keep talking. I mean, of course, he's hilariously funny. Although it's it's cringeworthy to watch him self destruct. Here's a scene where he is trying to persuade the commissioning editor at the BBC to do a second series, and then in desperation, pitching all sorts of terrible ideas. Here's to our future relationship with the BBC. Yeah, I, I don't think you should see your future just at the BBC, Alan. I just think it's time for you to consider moving on to new pastures. How, how have I got a second service? There's so many opportunities. I, no, 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 actually, let, 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 me, let me rephrase that. Um, can I... No, actually, I'll just repeat the question. Have I got a second series? No. Thank you. Well, what's nice. If you have any other ideas, I'd I'd be very interested... Got them here. Got them here. Right. Uh, Right, Okay. Arm wrestling with Chaz and Dave. I don't think so. Pity, because they were were very keen on that one. Right, now, you you like this, right? Knowing M.E., knowing you, I, Alan Partridge, talk to M.E. sufferers uh, about the condition. Um, You know... We, we intersperse it with their favourite pop songs, make it light-hearted, you know, give them a platform. You, 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 you've got to keep the energy up, because you can't... Can. Cooking in prison. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, a, a partridge amongst the pigeons. What's that? Well, it's just a title, I mean... Um, <laughs> well, no, it, uh, opening sequence, me in Trafalgar Square, feeding the pigeons, going, oh, God! No, no I'm sorry, no, stop. Oh, well, uh, 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 youth hosteling with... Chris Eubank. No. <laughs> Monkey tennis? The, the interesting thing about the way they would shoot these shows was Armando Iannucci watched many, many sitcoms, and he noticed that they all have this way where they're, they have the stage, they have the audience, and the actors seem to be like projecting toward the audience, projecting toward the cameras. And he wanted this more real fly-in-the-wall documentary kind of look. But they still wanted to do it in a studio with an audience. And right. so they built... It wasn't a fake documentary like what would come later, The Office. Right. They weren't... Look, they didn't... But it was of a handheld sort of yeah. style. That, mm-hmm. And so they would build four-wall sets in the studio. So if you actually came to watch I'm Alan Partridge being recorded, you couldn't actually see the actors. But you could watch them on the monitor because what they noticed was people look at the monitors anyway. Because you're only a mile away from the actors. You can see them in close-ups on the monitors. And that allowed the cameras to roam around and see all the four walls. And so it looked like you actually were inside a hotel or an office building or a, a set. And that worked really well for them. And it gave this for a very real sort of look. It does sort of fall into the trap the BBC has of, of laugh tracks. You can't seem to cure the BBC of laugh tracks. Although, ironically, when they brought MASH over to Britain, they insisted that 20th Century Fox take off the laugh tracks. They didn't think it was appropriate. But yet they still do an awful lot of comedies with laugh tracks in Britain. I mean, things like League of Gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Which you think, why, why does that need a laugh track? Why does that need to tell us well, that this is funny? But that's the way they like to do it sometimes. I mean, not all of the shows have laugh tracks, obviously, but the Indianucci shows still do. I saw Steve Coogan pretty early on in Pauline Calf's wedding video. Uh, Pauline Calf was the sister to Paul Calf, who was this idiot, a blokey bloke who wore a jacket with rolled up sleeves, drank beer a lot, had really annoying opinions. And Pauline was his sister. It was Steve and Drag. He did a 
really good job too. I, I've, if you just watch Pauline in Repose, he really studied women, how women behave with one another if they're in a club and it's time to go off and gossip in the bathroom, those things. He got it all right. He was very, very good at that. He hasn't done, to my knowledge, any other female characters. That was his one. All the others have been male. I think you can make the case, too, that Pauline is probably his least pathetic character. Yeah. She's a, she's a slut, but she's proud of it. But she's mm-hmm. not pathetic. Right. Whereas Alan and Paul Calf and Tony Farino and Tommy Saxondale are losers and fairly pathetic. Then there was the six-part anthology series called Coogan's Run in 1995, where he got to play a different character in each episode. Occasionally more than one character. Yeah, Paul Calf would make appearances once in a while. But it was a chance for him to kind of do different things. I think he was at that point saying, you know, I want to be an actor. I have different characters. Right. I don't want to just be Alan Partridge all the time because I think he realized that could be a real millstone. He had a few characters in that series that were actually quite sweet and charming and very bright and knew more than anyone else in town, as well as a, a lion's share of losers and inept fools. But I would say that's my favorite of his little mini-series. Oh, Coogan's Run? Yeah. Yeah. I liked the contrast and all the different flavors of it each week. I enjoyed that a lot. It was nice that he was able to headline a series that early on. Right. Now, that was, what, 97? 95. 95. Yeah. So in 97, he got to be Mole in the film version of Wind in the Willows. And that's the one with... The, pay, all, the Monty Python. The Monty Python guys, Almost right. all of them were in it. We talked about the as TV well version. as Stephen Fry, Nigel Planer, Victoria Wood, and Julia Sawalha, and a great number of good people in it. Right. That was, yes, 96. In 97, Alan created the character of Tony Frino, which is sort of a parody of slimeball Europop singers who try to invade the British market and British women. And he was pretty obnoxious. It was a very interesting way of, of having it. And he, he sang songs and everything. So it was, you know, a complete character who, who could sing and act. And, you know, you were supposed to despise Tony. He obviously was a bit of a jerk. Right. Coogan is a very good singer on in that way. There's an interview of him. I don't know if it's available on YouTube, but it's he was on one of Clive Anderson's talk shows, and it's the only time ever I've seen him break character. He said something improvising that was so funny, he started giggling, and then he looked wretched, but of course they left it in there because they could. Oh, he appeared as Tony on, as, yes, on Clive as Anderson's Tony. show. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because I went to another episode of Clive Anderson's show, and they actually taped each guest for about 45 minutes and then cut it down to 10 or 15 for the show. So they were probably just rubbing their hands in glee when he fluffed and broke character, and they had to leave it in because it was just something that doesn't happen very often. In fact, I've heard of the entire series, first series of I'm Ellen Partridge, there's one outtake. Because he just was in such character all the time that he just didn't break character or laugh. Apparently he would, when they would record the shows for the audience, he would come out as Alan Partridge, talk about the show, you know, introduce who was going to be in it. You know, he's never, oh, here's our star Steve Coogan. It was, he was Alan Partridge. Right. Yeah. He's pretty nifty. He can just absolutely jump into that character too, because he's been on some American talk shows pretty early, I think. 
the audiences didn't know who he was, but the Conan O'Brien who had him on, or maybe say Craig Ferguson, were fans, so they wanted him on because they liked him, and they would have him jump into impressions and Alan Partridge, and he could do it on a dime. It's not something he has to go off in a dark room and become the character anymore. But I do think once he's in it, he's really in it. It's, yes. But it's acting, you know. Mm-hmm. He's not, I don't think there's anything weird about uh, him, Master Thespian. him doing that. Around this time, he and Steve Normal started Baby Cow Productions. And almost any kind of weird, off-ball, non-laugh track show, usually find at the end, produced by Baby Cow. Uh, Mrs. Merton and Malcolm would be mm-hmm. a good example of that. Mighty Boosh. And Marion and Jeff. With Rob Brydon, who is this sad sack taxi guy who has a camera in his taxi, and it's just monologues by him trying to get back with Marion, who uh, he's not even Jeff. Marion is his ex-wife. Jeff is her lover, and Rob Brydon is the the character who's the star of the show, and it's all we ever see him. We never see Marion and Jeff until Keith, Keith Barrett is that or Kevin? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah right. Because yeah. yeah, Keith Barrett later on got his own chat show, mm-hmm. so it was Rob Brydon in the character of Keith Barrett, you know, Welsh chalk talk show host. But in a small summer party, which was a TV movie, we got to finally meet Jeff. And he was, of course, played by Steve Coogan. Okay. I missed that one. Would have ah, liked to have seen it. I have it. Another anthology series he did in 2001 was Dr. Terrible's House of Horrible, which was a parody of Hammer films and genre films in general, with great titles like Curse of the Blood of the Lizard of Doom and Frenzy of Tongs. And he would introduce this as Dr. Horrible, a you know, midnight movie post. Oh, uh, so creepy, too. Just creepy, creepy under hours and hours of latex to make him just uh, as bald as Mr. Clean. And, and horrible teeth. Yes. This very sinister but sincere grin. They did a great Sherlock Holmes pastiche with Mark Gatiss. Remember that? Mm-hmm. That was yeah, that was uh, Frenzy of Tongs, in fact. And Steve would show up in in various parts in that as well. But it was pretty funny a show. I, I liked uh, Doctor Terrible's House of Horrible. I mean, I love pastiches of those kind of uh, schlocky movies and things. And then there's a movie that I think really brought him to the attention of Americans, and that is Twenty Four Hour Party People, where he played Tony Wilson. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, Steve Coogan was a named guy in this country and started getting at least bit parts in American movies. Because of that, I think a lot of American producers saw this and saw him and said, ooh, this guy can carry a movie. He's really good. Yeah, he got an American film, too, called Happy Endings. And I've watched that with and without the commentary track, and they mentioned that his character was somebody who does something very, very bad, but the audience has to identify with him and feel for him and like him. And he, they were having trouble casting it, and then they actually cast him because they saw Alan Partridge, of all things, which couldn't be more different than the character he ends up playing, but it had that quality. So um, that's a little movie around that time, too. That I, It's an American film, but I highly recommend people seek it out. If you get tired of British television one week. Yeah, that's Happy Endings from 2005. Yep. Uh, In 2004, he was in the remake of Around the World in 80 Days, playing Phileas Fogg. This was the one with Jackie Chan, right? Yep. And uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's last film appearance. 
That's right, before it became the governator. So, big budget Jackie Chan vehicle there. Mm -hmm. Not too shabby. He was in the very strange animated series by Peter Bainham called I Am Not an Animal. And he played a cartoon horse. Right, I couldn't watch that. That would bring a migraine on instantly, that animation. It was, yes, it was done with a sort of weird photorealistic cutout style. It was about all these animals that had been genetically engineered in a lab, so they were all intelligent and could speak. They didn't realize they were animals. And they escape, and they try to pretend to live like regular people. They don't realize they're not people. It was very strange. And Steve played Philip the horse. And do you ever see monkey trousers? Yeah, Monkey Trousers. It started off as a two-part, the all-star comedy show, written by um, Reeves and Mortimer, but it had all the hot names of comedy show up here and there to do maybe even just one sketch, and Mm. Steve was in a few, including a very, very funny sketch he did with Richard Wilson and Ronnie Anacona and David Walliams, where they were scientists, or as they were calling themselves, boffins trying to check into a convention and getting a boffin discount and getting insulted when someone offered them the egghead discount instead. And Steve had this wispy little beard and he was gesturing towards it angrily to prove that he was a boffin in his medical science coat. And then it moved on from being just a two-part special to Monkey Trousers, which was, again, Vic and Bob scripted, and they were in several scripts, but a huge revolving guest cast of all their buddies. I mean, anyone you can think of who could have been in it was in it. There was one brief sketch about men carrying ladders going to a party, and John Sim was there with his ladder, and Angus Deaton was in it a bit, um, Matt Lucas quite a bit. So it's fun. It's it's hit and miss. It's maybe even a little more hit and miss than some of our favorite comedy sketch shows, but I, I quite enjoyed it. Wow. Yeah. Bob Mortimer did a great character. This was before the his um, muse... Sadly passed away, but he was the um, croc botherer who would go out and wrestle animals in the woods. And Oh, <laughs> right. Oh, with Steve Irwin, right. Yes. In 2005, he was in Tristam Shandy, a cock and bull story. The novel they said they couldn't film, they filmed it. And uh, Steve was in that. With Rob Bryden, who he's often collaborated with and was a big champion of early on in his career. You could almost say he gave Rob his career with financing Marion and Jeff with Baby Cow. and They did a great TV movie called Cruise of the Gods. I love Cruise of the Gods. It is about a science fiction sea cruise. I've been on these. Where old has-been celebrities come on a cruise and get to meet their fans. And the fan handler was Lurky, played by David Williams. With little teeny tiny bangs yes, curled across his forehead just so. And they got the details of what cruise life is like perfectly. I had just been on a cruise when I saw this and I thought, wow, they, they really did their research. The idea is that Rob Brydon and Steve Coogan back in the 80s were in a Blake Seven-like low-budget cult science fiction show. And Rob is so broke that he agrees to do this, uh, get this free cruise as an attempt to bond with his son. No, he doesn't know he has a son until oh, the end of right. it. Yeah, but that's... he's working as a bellman, and he really needs the strokes. Right. He hasn't had an acting gig in ages, and the last one he got was sort of being all wrapped up in bandages on casualty. Me- <laughs> meanwhile, his, meanwhile, his co-star, played by Steve Coogan, has gone on to become a big-name actor in America playing Sherlock Holmes in Miami. And we get to see clips of this. Yeah. 
And he ends up helicoptering in on the cruise. He, he, they happen to be where he's at, and he goes, oh, they're, they're having a thing for our old show. Great. And he shows up there, and of course, he ends up upstaging Rob Brydon because, of course, he was the big star who went on to great fame. So it was a very funny look at fans, culty old TV shows. The, the clips of their old shows right. are hilariously recreated. Well, they were supposed to play each other's roles, and then they switched, and so you do see Coogan playing a really nice man for a change. Yeah, he generally was. He actually was willing to... to. I mean, he wasn't trying to steal the limelight from Rob Brydon's character. He just, and he, he was very kind to him. And yeah. He, but it's very sweet. I, I really like Cruise of the Gods a lot. Very, very funny, interesting TV movie. Uh, Steve Coogan popped up in Hot Fuzz. Blink and you miss him. He was one of Simon Pegg's bosses who banished him to that small town. Along with Bill Nighy and... Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman, right. They show up at the end of the movie as well. And then in 2006, Steve Coogan played Tommy Saxondale in the series Saxondale about an old, over-the-hill former roadie from the 80s who's now living in the 21st century, yeah. still trying to relive the old days. He's going through anger management classes. Maybe a little young to be over the hill, but he's made himself that way right. <laughs> through hard living earlier and, and just being kind of bitter. But the way he dresses, the, present, yeah. the way he looks... Uh, the way he runs his lifestyle, he, he basically makes a living now as an exterminator. He settled down with a woman, but he's still trying to relive the old days. And in this clip, he runs into an old mate of his from the crazy old days, who's now become an uptight, yuppie, clean-cut executive. And Tommy wants to give him a photograph of them from the old days. Well, I've got something for you, actually. There you go. Whoa! <laughs> Oh, hey. Now that takes me back. Yeah. What was that 1975? 74. Crosby, yeah. Stills and Nash. And, and Young. Yeah. And us. <laughs> Should we take it to your staff, give them a laugh? Uh, no, I, I, I don't think so, Tommy. Show them yourself in your previous incarnation. I can't have that, mate. Uh, hey, well, I thought you were still shaking the tree. Oh, yeah, yeah in, in marketing terms, yeah, but it's just... I'm the boss now. I can't have my staff see me acting like a tit. You weren't a tit. Yes, I was. So were you. We were all tits. You're saying the music industry in the 1970s was just full of tits? Yes. In a way, you're right, but you know, don't like your attitude. You're just dissing the 70s. You know. Oh, you're talking about a 10-year period that ended 30 years ago? 10 this, 30 that. It's all numbers to you, isn't it? You're all marketing spreadsheets and flowcharts. I used to know a guy who was all denim, long hair and mutton-chopped sideburns. In a good way. Look, Tommy, you can't expect me to go around running a business with the same hairstyle I had in 1974. Really? I think Richard Branson would have something very interesting to say about that. He'd say, I run an extremely successful business with exactly the same haircut I had in 1974. Hey, look, Tommy, I'm still kicking ass, all right? Just in a way that meets my customers' needs in a constantly changing business environment. Yeah, if the young man I knew in 1974 could hear you now, he'd just say, hey, Grandad, don't go laying a downer on these cats. They just don't dig it. Admittedly, that sounds a bit dated now, but that, that is what he'd say. I'm out of here. Now, recently, Steve Coogan has been in Hamlet 2, where he played an American drama, drama teacher. teacher who decides to remount a sequel to Hamlet. Right, his, his 
all they do in his drama department is stage adaptations of current movies like Aaron Brockovich done by high schoolers as a theatrical play. So he decides he wants to do something that he's written himself. So he does the sequel to Hamlet involving a time machine to go back and right the wrongs done in the, in the original Bard's production. You may have also seen him as the crazy director in Tropic Thunder who gets beheaded by a helicopter. No, it was the, um, I have to correct you on this. Oh. It was kind of a landmine that he stepped on. He went looked down and said, "Oh!" And then oh, that's right, he got blown up. Yep. Okay, but he got he got killed off fairly early on. But yeah, he was the, the crazy director who let's go to Vietnam and shoot. Also, another Ben Stiller movie. He was he's in the, been in the Night of the Museum movies as Octavius. But we really like it when Steve Coogan does his own material, which he originates or does an awful lot of improvisation of. Yep, and still nurturing new talent back. And Gavin and Stacy, that was one that he... That's right. Well, his attitude is, because he was an up-and-coming comic, and he decided, okay, now I've made it big. There's up-and-coming guys. You can't beat them, join them. And so he is willing to nurture young comics, and he realizes, you know, he can't be an actor forever, and so going into the producing business is what will keep him going. And from everything I've heard, he's magnificent to work for. He loves collaboration. He doesn't have a huge ego, they were the Bush fellows were talking about when they were filming their second series and his money is financing their series and he asked if he could play a small role and they said well we've kind of promised it to a friend of ours expecting him to pull his producer cloud and end up taking the role for himself and he was just oh well okay if you've promised it to someone else that's fine and that was the end of it so that's that makes me like him a lot reading and hearing things like that yeah. So we definitely love spotting Steve Coogan. He's obviously getting a lot of uh, American parts, but he's still back in Britain doing a lot of things as well. And you should check out a lot of his stuff. As we told you last week, his massive DVD box set just got released in the United States with all of these shows we've been talking about. Saxondale, I'm Alan Partridge, Knowing Me, Knowing You, Dr. Horrible. Many fine hours of viewing there, I'm sure. What should we do next week? Oh, I'm, I'm just delirious with fever now. Why don't you decide? How about Graham Norton? Perfect. Yes, we will look at the chat show host and stand-up comic from Ireland, Graham Norton. A friend of the show recently went to see the show taping, and we'll bring you an interview and talk about the process of going to see Graham Norton in person. Sounds fun. I very narrowly missed getting to do that myself many years ago, so I'll be glad to hear what it was like. Right. Meanwhile, we still want you to vote for Britain's Best Naughties Comedy at feedback at britishtvpodcast.com. What do you think was the best comedy of the last 10 years? It's many, many choices. Extras, Green Wing, The IT Crowd, Spaced. The office. Yes. So get your votes in there. And at the end of the year, Christy and I will have a big debate about which is the best. You should go to our website, BritishTVPodcast.com, where you can get show notes about what we've seen and talked about, what's on TV this week, news items, and links to old shows. So check it out on the web. So, 
as the 2009 American season kind of comes to an end here, a lot of new shows starting in Britain this week as leading up to Christmas, which as we've been telling you all along is when the really big guns come out. I mean, so much good stuff to watch at the end of the year. And we're really looking forward to talking about them and watching them and all that stuff. So keep stay tuned because we have a lot to tell you about. 2009 is not over yet on the TV year in Britain. So thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.